0: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's you here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you
1: curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives...
3: Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. We are getting
1: close to move-out day, Uh, really close to move-out day, and uh, we have so much stuff left that we've got to get rid of, and Kat has found a unique way to empty our freezer.
2: So we have... And this is not my fault. Some things in the freezer that we know we won't eat. We've had guests over the last year who have left things in the freezer. And I just would feel really bad throwing them away. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like a meat pizza. Yeah. We're not going to eat that. Nope. So I'm bringing the dog back in. I'm bringing Haggis back in from a walk. And uh, I approach our apartment door. And there is a, a flyer that Kat has created, full color, that she's printed out with a picture of a Red Baron pizza box on it and instructions on how you can get it for free.
2: <laughs> I thought that that would be a good way to go about it. I mean, there's we're right next to the elevator. yeah. So a lot of people are scooting by and they might see it and think to themselves, I would like a Supreme pizza.
1: And you actually ended up giving it to somebody like within 30 seconds of when you put that thing on the door, it seemed. And then our neighbors were mad because we didn't give them first dibs.
2: I have made a whole bag of groceries for them so oh, they good. don't have to worry about it. Okay. No no frozen pizza, but lentil soup, so
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, we like you frozen pizza. Uh you other people we like you lentil soup. I do like your idea of having our pop-up hallway bar before we go and get rid of all of the rest of the alcohol that we have. I know it might be surprising to you that we do have leftover alcohol here, uh, but we do.
2: So it'd be kind of nice if we could give it to our neighbors uh, before we leave, and it would give us an opportunity to dress up.
1: And we never hesitate to take an opportunity to, to do just that. Kat is into costuming more than any person I've ever known. She's the kind of person where like four or five of us will get together and go bowling, and she will make us all matching shirts.
2: My favorite example was formal night to do laundry.
1: That was on the cruise ship, right?
2: We've done it a couple times. A couple of
1: times, yeah. Yeah, we had laundry to do. And I think the first time it was born out of necessity yeah. that everything was dirty except our formal outfit. So you wore a gown and I wore a tux to the cruise ship laundromat. And we drank a bottle of champagne there while we rinsed out a few delicates. It's funny that once we get into that bottle of champagne, our laundry production output drops dramatically. Mm. Well, today I'm going to talk about a phenomenon that has puzzled photographers and enthusiasts for decades. The enigmatic world of rods, also known as skyfish. Have you heard of this? I don't think so. Well, imagine this. You're, you're out on the, in the great outdoors. You've got your camera in hand, which I know you often do. You, you are quite a shutterbug. You're capturing the beauty of nature. Then you take a look at your footage later, only to discover something bizarre streaking across the frame an elongated, rod-shaped, what appears to be a creature, flying at high speeds. This is what's called the phenomenon of the rods, or the skyfish, and our journey into the world of rods begins in late 1990. A filmmaker whose name was Jose Escamilla was filming footage for a documentary that he was shooting in Roswell, New Mexico, of course, the site of the uh, famous Roswell crash in 1947 UFO incident. While reviewing his footage, Escamilla noticed something very unusual. These elongated rod-shaped objects streaking across the frame at high speeds. He had never witnessed this before in any of the filming that he had done prior, so he was intrigued and he began to investigate further and he started by examining older footage from different locations that, that he had shot, searching for a similar Anomaly. And to his surprise, he did discover similar rod like objects that he captured on film and also film shot by other individuals around the world. Okay. It seems as though once he started looking for them, he was finding them.
2: That tends to be the way.
1: Oftentimes, so many things go unnoticed. We're just kind of in our little daily trance. Do-de-do-de-do. Rods flying all over. Hmm. So Escamilla was the person who coined the term rods to describe these. uh, He hypothesized uh, were living organisms that actually existed in the sky, invisible to the naked eye. According to him, rods possessed extraordinary capabilities, including incredible speed and agility. And he believed that the rods were capable in his mind. This is one of his theories. They were capable of interdimensional travel slipping in and out of reality undetected.
2: Oh, so not just some sort of light interference in the photography, but actual
1: beings. And that's what skeptics say, that it's some sort of a trick of light or lens flare or, or things like this. But his passion led him on a mission to bring attention to this phenomenon. He produced a documentary, hoping to shed some light on it. And the documentary captured the interest of both enthusiasts and skeptics The enthusiasts, of course, viewed Escamilla as a pioneer, bringing attention to a previously unnoticed phenomenon, and then others were critical of his claims, attributing the rods to camera artifacts, insects, or birds caught in a motion blur, which makes a lot of sense. But some of the photography was done at very, very high shutter speed, and they were able to slow it down Even when you're talking about ultra-high-speed photography, it still appears to be kind of like a a fast-moving rod. It'll change directions, like 90-degree angles at ridiculously high speeds. Even though these are high-speed cameras, they're still blurry. You can't really tell what it is. Whereas if you catch a bird with a high-speed camera, there's no problem. You can see the bird so his documentary sparked a wave of interest in this phenomenon and people all over the world began examining their own photographs and videos hoping to catch a glimpse of these whatever they are rods became a popular topic of discussion within the paranormal and cryptozoology communities as you might expect the scientific community generally remains skeptical of uh claims many experts consider the rods to be the result of an optical illusion or a camera artifact or some sort of misrepresentation of a natural phenomena. Sure. But Eskimia's initial discovery in Roswell and the subsequent advocacy uh, for rods helped to popularize the, uh, the story. Whether rods are really extraordinary creatures that have never been you know, detected before we had high-speed photography or just a simply misunderstood visual anomaly it's fascinating to both enthusiasts and skeptics alike. So here's a few other encounters that took place besides his initial encounter at Roswell. In 2002, an amateur photographer in Nevada reported capturing a series of photographs that showed a cluster of rods hovering near a mountain range. The image sparked an intense debate among experts, with some suggesting that they were previously un, a previously unknown life form, while others were saying that uh, it was some sort of a cloud formation or just again an optical illusion. Another fascinating case took place in the dense jungles of the Amazon rainforest. A group of explorers stumbled upon an ancient indigenous tribe that shared stories of quote flying snakes, and according to their accounts these rod-like creatures would slither through the air. Their undulating motion representing that of a serpent. When later, looking at some of the photography that they took, some of the, um, the filming they took, they detected the presence of these rods, huh. whatever they are. Mexico City, during a protest in 2005, dozens of people captured video footage showing these objects. In 2008, the Great Wall of China, a tourist visiting noticed something peculiar in uh, one of their photographs. In the image, it was a rod-like creature. It appeared to be flying above the wall.
2: Do you have photos that include the the flying rod snakes?
1: Yes, and uh, video.
2: Can I see them, please?
1: You sure can. There's a photo of one over a quarry somewhere with an extremely high shutter rate. And it's still really blurry, but it looks like like a stick with a bunch of wings or some sort of multiple appendages on both sides of it.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what it looks like.
1: It's interesting when you think that the first the first place that they were noticed was in Roswell. Um, there was an, a sighting in 2015 at Loch Ness. The rods appeared to be gliding through the water with incredible speed.
2: Oh, so they're not just airborne.
1: They've been witnessed flying in the air and then appearing to disappear underwater. And then there have been sightings of something similar to what was seen in Roswell under the water as well. In 2019, more recently in Tokyo, Japan, a video was taken by a commuter in uh, one of the busy districts of Tokyo that showed what appeared to be several rods zipping through the sky. And these tie in, some people speculated that these tie into... uh, urban legends and ghost stories that are associated with, uh, with the city, it seems like many of these sightings are in areas that have a history of unexplained phenomenon. Now, of course, skeptics argue rods are simply the result of optical illusions and photographic artifacts, and the explanations focus on a combination of uh, motion blur, perspective distortion, and the rolling shutter effect. Of digital cameras. When a camera with a slower shutter speed captures a fast moving object, like an insect or a bird, it can create an elongated, distorted shape. The effect is further exaggerated by the rolling shutter, which scans the frame from top to bottom. Uh, These factors combined can produce an illusion of a rod like creature flying through the air.
2: Kind of like how sometimes the panoramic photos go horribly wrong.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we've created a few of those that. are haunting, mm-hmm. but not all of the rod sightings can be explained this way. Enthusiasts claim that rods often appear to change direction suddenly, even to vanish into thin air, defying the natural laws of flight. So, this has led enthusiasts to some pretty extreme explanations, and I love them. According to one theory, rods exist in a different plane of existence, only visible when captured on camera. They could be slipping in and out of reality using their extraordinary speed and maneuverability to traverse dimensions. And the idea kind of lines up with with the idea that rods are rarely seen by the naked eye and that they operate beyond the realm of our ordinary perception. Sure. Another theory suggests that rods could be connected to extraterrestrial beings Or advanced cloaking technology proponents of this idea speculate that rods may be scouts or surveillance devices used by alien civilizations the uh, entities would employ advanced forms of camouflage or cloaking rendering them invisible to human sight but yet still detectable to some camera lenses and that would account for the sudden appearances and disappearances of these rods
2: well that is an interesting theory
1: You're not buying into alien cloaked surveillance device?
2: No, I think it's valid.
1: (laughs) Could rods be a glimpse into an unknown dimension or a hidden realm within our own world? Or are they the product of advanced cloaking technology employed by extraterrestrial beings? I love that idea. That's not the most likely one even in my mind, but I like that idea. Or are they simply a photographic quirk a trick of light. Either way, they serve as a reminder that our universe is teeming with enigmas waiting to be unraveled. My source information, the enigma of rods unraveling the mystery from the Journal of Cryptozoology, rods exploring the paranormal phenomenon, Journal of Anomalous Sightings. Beyond the Lens, a closer look at rods from Unexplained Mysteries Magazine. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca.
2: And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot
4: easier to manage them.
1: Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help.
2: Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills.
1: Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer
0: hey there i'm dylan lewis one of the hosts of motley full money each weekday on motley full money we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on wall street on weekends we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts authors and executives that understand them tune in for insights a long-term perspective on investing and of course stock ideas plenty of them To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
3: And now, that thing
1: in the middle. Today's thing in the middle, things that we totally messed up this week.
2: As you know, we are in the process of moving and trying to get organized for us. It's not been easy.
1: Number five, I went to heat up my pizza and set the oven timer mistakenly for six hours. We had to leave the apartment. But the firemen were really understanding.
2: Number four, I once again requested Mexican cocks from DoorDash.
1: We just wanted a fine quality cola from south of the border. Number three... I mistakenly sent an inappropriate message to my dad's wife.
2: You've been texting a lot of people lately. It it makes a lot of sense that you're getting a little confused here and there.
1: Number two, I mistakenly sent an inappropriate message to my dad's wife.
2: As I said, a lot of texts were being sent,
1: and I'm sure she understood. And number one, I mistakenly sent an inappropriate text to <laughs> my dad's wife. Uh... <laughs> yeah,
2: Yeah, that one was pretty bad. That
1: was pretty bad. Do you think she knows what a rusty trombone
3: is? (laughs)
2: I got a message from Chantel. I was just listening to 549, and I mean this in the most respectful way possible, because everyone loves Jethro, and he makes all of us laugh. But I just love how you always pull him back from the curse slash supernatural nonsense.
1: Yeah, because you're evil. You
2: always say exactly what I'm thinking as I'm thinking it. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I want to believe in ghosts because my mom's dead and shit, but I cannot make my brain do it. And I wrote back and I said, I'm so glad that you sent this because someone just wrote us and said that I'm too mean to him. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, no, you're not mean. <laughs> or maybe I am too. Nothing wrong with asking someone to apply a little logical thinking.
1: <laughs> Kayla writes, about four years ago, we bought the home we are currently living in. It's 120 years old, and I'm sure it has many stories to share. If these walls could talk. Upon moving in, I started to hear strange noises, but I brushed them off as just new noises in an old house that I have to get used to. After about three months of this, I thought, something doesn't seem right. My sister was living with us at the time as well. So I asked her if she was hearing anything strange. My strange occurrences consisted of what sounded like a woman crying in the basement and a creepy feeling like someone not so good was watching me while I was in the kitchen and they were watching me from the pantry. My sister was living on the third floor and this is where the maid would have been. And she said she could hear footsteps and things banging around up there. I decided for fun to hire a psychic medium to clear the house. The woman I hired lived in a city about two and a half hours away. She cleared the house remotely and never came to my house, but requested a photo of the outside. I didn't tell her anything about the creepy happenings in the home, just wanted a clearing on the house that I had just purchased. So fast forward three days, and I received an email from her. It listed everything that she had, quote, found. And I shit you not, it started with, there's a woman crying in your basement.
2: Oh my God.
1: (laughs) And there's a man watching you from inside the pantry. (sighs) And she stated that he was not a nice man while alive.
2: Oh, guess who doesn't have a pantry anymore? Just a weird locked door.
1: (laughs) She also found a maid who didn't know that she had passed away and was wandering around on the third floor. Oh my goodness. My jaw dropped to the floor without any details as to what was going on and that anything was going on at all. Just a photo to go off of. This woman detailed the occurrences that were happening. It's one of the weirder things I've experienced. Now, of course, she could have looked up exactly where I lived, and but how she would have ever known anything about the specific strange occurrences in the exact spots is beyond me. I'm happy to report that after she cleared the house, most of the things ceased to continue. Wow. The maid still visits from time to time, as she has told the psychic she would to watch over the kiddos in the house.
2: Oh, well, that's fine.
1: Yeah. She's benevolent.
2: Kylie wrote us, I started listening to Boo when I still lived in Louisiana. You only had 12 episodes out and I binged them in two days. <laughs> I've packed you up and I've taken you with me through a couple of moves to a few different countries since then. I live in Belgium now in an area where they primarily speak French. And let's just say the state of Louisiana gave me too much confidence in my ability to (laughs) pronounce literally anything in French. (laughs) PSS, I'm so excited about the new adventures you'll be having in Ecuador. As someone who moved to a country with cultures and languages very different from what I grew up with, your motivation and enthusiasm to embrace something new is inspirational. I sometimes get anxious about going out because I never had to experience things like communication barriers until now. Moving so far away is a very humbling experience, but I get a little extra courage from people like you who see the same hurdles and know they can jump them. Bon voyage. Isn't that the sweetest? That
1: is really sweet.
2: I love that. It made me feel really good because at the last few days I've been like, what the fuck are we doing?
1: (laughs) Merci beaucoup, mon ami.
5: There are really many reasons to listen to our podcast, Big Picture Science. It's kind of a challenge to summarize them all, Molly.
4: Okay, here's a reason to listen to our show, Big Picture Science, because you love to be surprised by science news. We love to be surprised by science news. So, for instance, I learned on our own show that I had been driving around with precious metals in my truck before it was stolen.
5: That was brought up in our show about precious metals and also rare metals like most of the things in your catalytic converter. I was surprised to learn that we may begin naming heat waves like we do hurricanes. You know, prepare yourself for heat wave Lucifer.
4: I don't think I can prepare myself for that.
5: Look, we like surprising our listeners. We like surprising ourselves by reporting new developments in science and while asking the big picture questions about why they matter and how they will affect our lives today and in the future. Well, we
4: can't affect lives in the past, right? No, I
5: I guess that's a point. (laughs) So the podcast is called Big Picture Science, and you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.
4: We are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us. We hope you'll take a listen. Throughout history, royals across the world were notorious for incest. They married their own relatives in order to consolidate power and keep their blood blue. But they were oblivious to the havoc all this inbreeding was having on the health of their offspring. From Egyptian pharaohs marrying their own sisters, to the Habsburgs' notoriously oversized lower jaws. I explore the most shocking incestuous relationships and tragically inbred individuals in royal history. And that's just episode one.
3: If this podcast were a puppy or kitten, it would be all cute and cuddly. Then stare at you from two inches away while you slept. This is The Box of Oddities. What you got for me?
2: Clownfish are all about social ladders.
1: Clownfish are? Yeah. Like from Finding Nemo?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They've got a hierarchy and it's maintained in small groups, consisting of a single monogamous breeding pair and a few non-breeding juvenile males. Hmm. The strict dominance hierarchy exists in each group, whereby the female is always the largest, followed by the breeding male, and the smaller non-breeding males decrease in size further down the hierarchy. One of the ways that the fish maintain their place at the top is by making aggressive, popping noises at their subordinates who respond with clicking sounds that to clownfish sound submissive
1: submissive okay
2: larger dominant clownfish particularly
1: (laughs) those (laughs) words sound hilarious together larger dominant clownfish
2: (laughs) they generally produce the distinct chirp and pop sounds while charging and chasing smaller subordinates The sounds are produced when the jaw teeth clash and as the jaw rapidly slams shut, they do... They do that. I've got pictures of their teeth and they're so cute. Chirps, on average, are very brief and contain multiple pluses of different durations. It's kind of like Morse code. Subordinate males do not produce chirps or pops. Instead, they produce sounds generated by head shaking. And it's thought that this head-shaking behavior serves as a way to avoid physical injury during the antagonistic motions by the aggressive, dominant clownfish.
1: So, so the subordinate clownfish yeah. are bobbing and weaving. Yep. Floats like a butterfly, stings like a clownfish. <laughs> Sounds like a stun gun.
2: That's their teeth. That's how they're faster. Wow. That's how fast they're doing that. It's no wonder they're intimidating.
1: I would say, good day, ma'am. Good day to you, my, my good clownfish.
2: Now, I came across this because we were talking about hydrophones the other day when we talked about the bloop. Yeah. And I realized that there are a lot of fish that make sounds. And I didn't know that. Hmm. I just thought, you know, fish are pretty chill
1: Yeah, they're quiet and keep to themselves. Yeah,
2: but no, a lot of sea creatures make a lot of sounds, and so I thought we'd get into some of the noisier sea creatures today. (sighs) Okay. Now, the mantis shrimp is not actually a shrimp. They're stomatopods, and they're an ancient group of marine predators that are only distantly related to other crustaceans. They get their common name due to their resemblance to praying mantis and shrimp, but they're really, they're not. Mantis shrimp have become well known in the crustacean community because (laughs) (laughs) they have an incredible punch the speed of the shrimp's strike has been compared to that of a bullet leaving the barrel of a gun wow mantis shrimp pack the strongest punch of any creature in the animal kingdom Their club-like appendage accelerates faster than a bullet and can knock off the arm of a crab and break through a snail shell.
1: Holy shit.
2: They are tiny, but have been known to beat up octopus.
1: By themselves or or in a Nope, just one. (laughs) Wow, just (laughs) one right hook and he's down.
2: And yeah, they're noisy. Male mantis shrimp make growly, grunt-like rumbling sounds at dusk and at dawn. Wow. Yeah, that's a mantis shrimp, and he's had enough of your shit.
1: (laughs) He's dropping the bass.
2: He produces this sound by vibrating its carapace. Scientists speculate that the rumbling males are using these sounds to defend their territory, that's their way of saying like, hey, this is my space, Or uh, they might be using it to attract females. And, I mean, it could be both things. Who knows?
1: Oftentimes, those things go hand in hand.
2: Sometimes. Pregonius chromus is found in the western North Atlantic Ocean off the eastern coast of North America. He's got lots of names. Texas drum, the sea drum, saltwater drum, gray drum, the drumfish, striped drum, butterfly drum. The names are kind of a
1: giveaway about the kind of noises that they make. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm guessing it's percussive.
3: Wow.
2: They make this... Black drums make this sound by way of pharyngeal teeth. Now, pharyngeal teeth are teeth that live in the pharyngeal arch of the throat of fish that don't have regular mouth teeth.
1: They have teeth in their throat. They have
2: throat teeth.
1: Oh god.
2: Yeah, and they are capable of producing tones between 100 hertz and 500 hertz when performing mating calls. Their low frequency drumming can transmit a lot of energy over long distances. There was actually a neighborhood in southwest Florida where residents who were living along canals we're hearing these black drum calls, and it was really disruptive. And it's possible because the fish are in the water, and mm. the sound travels through the water into the ground and up into the walls of the homes. Oh, my God. So you're just in your house, like surrounded by the sound of this fish which I think is amazing.
1: That's insane.
2: Yeah. I just love the idea that a, a fish can just be out here ruining in property values. <laughs> yeah. Now we're moving to Marin County. The houseboat community, which is comprised of about 500 homes that float in the shallow waters of richardson bay just north of san francisco people live there to wake up to the salty mist carried on the ocean breeze and fall asleep to the gentle motion of the water i'm trying to pick up on some of your flowery
1: you're doing great writing
2: you've been doing lately.
1: doing doing great
2: yeah what they didn't expect perhaps was an extremely loud rhythmic humming sound from dusk till dawn which turned out to be a fish Pericthius notatus is a species of toadfish also known as the plain fin midshipman. Now, male plain fin midshipmen make a low humming noise to let the ladies know that they are available mm-hmm. for snogging. Wow. Courting male midshipmen create nests in the zone that they are looking to, to bang in. And then they start their concerts, vibrating their muscles against their swim bladder to attract females.
1: So is it the sound that attracts them or the vibrating?
2: I think it's the sound. You know, musicians, Yeah, they're always. They're hot. Right? Mm-hmm. It's noisy enough when one male does it, but when it's combined, the effect of a whole neighborhood of these midshipmen flapping their swim bladders around, I mean- That
3: is so hot. You
2: can imagine.
1: (laughs) Boots and pants and boots and
3: pants and
2: Now, that is their more rhythmic sound that they make, but keep in mind, they also have a tendency to just do this singular, loud, humming sound.
1: Oh, wow. Sounds like incoming aircraft.
2: (laughs) Again, you're on your houseboat. (laughs) You're trying to relax.
1: Right. And the property taxes in Marin are outrageous.
2: Now, for a time, those in Marin actually dealt with it in a very cool way, with the Sausalito Humming Toadfish Festival. (laughs) Not sure if that's still a thing.
1: All aboard. Sausalito Summer Night.
2: Sea urchins don't actually make sound um, they <laughs> have you ever flipped over a sea urchin or seen a picture of a flipped over sea yep. urchin mm-hmm. so they've got that, that weird mouth that's just like
1: <clears throat> yeah it looks like a spiky donut
2: yeah and um, so he uses that mouth to like run around on the, the floor of the, the ocean or whatever um, and they use the mouth to gather up foodstuffs but they have to kind of scrape it off the rocks and so it's not the sea urchin itself that's making the noise, it's the sound of their teeth on the rocks that make the noise.
1: Just the idea of teeth on rocks is very disturbing to me.
2: Yeah, but this is some real ASMR shit. Okay. I know what I'm falling asleep to tonight. (laughs) Seahorses do make noise sounds. Many sounds, as a matter of fact. They make clicking sounds while they're feeding, which I totally get, because they're like, I'm having a snack. Yeah. <laughs> and they click even louder during courtship, which makes even more sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm having a snack. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That may have been loud. I apologize. Um, both males and females click, um, which scientists say is a surprise they would think that just the boys would click but girls do too but more interestingly i think is seahorses when are in a particularly stressful seahorse situation like if they're captured or handled or whatever Mm -hmm. they growl they growl. This was revealed in a recent study published in the Journal of Zoology by researcher Takiana Oliveira from a Brazilian university. The growl is really too low to serve as a warning to others. So it's genuinely just a pissed off seahorse. (laughs) Get your hands off me, Carl.
1: A seahorse named Carl?
2: No, no. Carl's Carl's the one handling the seahorse. Oh,
1: I see. Okay. Although you would have to admit that Carl is a great name for a seahorse.
2: You're not wrong. I am delighted to know how many of these underwater creatures make so much noise and especially a seahorse growl (laughs) I can't tell you how pleased that made me
1: okay I'm glad it made you happy
2: though hopefully that growl doesn't make you happy you seahorse handling dink I got my information from biology dictionary discovery of sound in the sea science connected mental floss and ocean conservation research
1: I want to get a seahorse and name him Carl. Now that's all I can focus on. I understand. Mm -hmm. I like Oven.
2: Yes, I've started a new series on TikTok where (laughs) I scour uh, United States humane societies or other ASPCAs or whatever um, and find the best pet names I can Mm -hmm. find.
1: Mm -hmm. Oven.
2: So far, Oven is your favorite. That's my favorite. What's yours? Really tough choice there because there have been some good ones. No thoughts, just vibes, I think was a really good one. (laughs) Dr. Zoidberg, I really liked. Captain Holt, the little black kitten, so adorable. (laughs)
1: Like from Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yeah. (laughs) Very sincerely, your husband, Raymond Holt. (laughs) Best wishes. Warmest regards. Thank you for hanging out with us, you guys. You want to check out uh, our merch store, you can do so at theboxofoddities.com. Also, that's where you can uh, support us, if you so desire, by joining the Order of Freaks and becoming a patron On Patreon.
2: You will also get to see a website that is in desperate need of updating.
1: Yeah, well, we're working on it. So. Yeah. (laughs) TheBoxOfOddities.com, and we'll see you next time.
2: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
1: Fly it
3: proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, It's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The TheBoxOfOddities.com. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. What you got for me? I'm sorry. Just Heart <laughs> <laughs> <I got>
1: heartburn?
2: heartburn. <laughs> oh...